When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome once again, everybody, to another edition of THN on the Q, brought to you by BetMGM. The finals are underway. It's been an eventful two games up in Quebec. The scene has shifted back here to Halifax, where both Jamie Tozer and myself, Will McLaren, are located right now. So um, let's get right into it. First of all, Jamie, uh, for those who have um, been not been following the travels of Jamie Tozer, and I don't just mean going to random ranks across the country, but the uh, you know actual day-to-day travels of Jamie. He uh, he's gone from Halifax back home to the St. Stephen, New Brunswick area, but he's he's back in town for a very well-planned daytime work, daytime job trip that I find highly suspicious. Oh, there's your seats. And he is now he is now located uh, right across the street from Scotia Bank Center. So, uh, Jamie, um, first things first. Uh, welcome back in town. And it's, it's great. Well, it's great to have. You. And uh, what are your thoughts uh, in general of what you've seen so far, and uh, what we may be able to see? Uh, tomorrow night and uh, Wednesday, uh, we're recording Monday night, we should point out, but tomorrow night and Wednesday in here in Halifax. Well, it's the finals, Will, but it's feeling an awful lot like the semifinals. Um, you know, that game one, um, it was honestly hard not to just view that as a, as a write-off for the Mooseheads, given how they performed uh, in games one uh, in the second round and in the third round. Um, once again, kind of just laid an egg. Um, wasn't a great performance. Couldn't really get anything going offensively. And then defensively they struggled. Um, and Quebec was very much the opposite. And the, the stars really came to play for the Remparts. Um, but just like we saw in that semifinal, um, Halifax had a rough first period uh, in game two and then flipped a switch in the second period. Um, and it wasn't all bad in that first period. I thought that um, late goal from Alex Doucette really gave them some life going into the two intermission, made it a 2-1 game. Uh, but the Mooseheads really poured it on in that second period. Four goals, um, pretty dominant period by them. Uh, even though the shots weren't all that lopsided, it, it definitely felt like they were really controlling the play and they felt like they controlled the game really the final two periods. Um, and similar to the Quebec's big guns showed up, uh, game one, Halifax's big guns really showed up in that game too. Uh, Doucette and Lawrence, who have really, really been carrying this team with Dumay gone, uh, stepped up again. I thought LaRue was good again. Um, and getting some offense from that back end that's been beat up a little bit for a long and Schultz with goals. So uh, really clicking in that game too um, for the Mooseheads. Now, this is going to be an interesting uh, set of games, mainly because Quebec uh, is coming off a loss, which they haven't done in forever. Um, so I'm curious to see how they look because we saw in that Sherbrooke series, Sherbrooke really, I don't know if rattles the right word, but they just seem to really struggle, uh, rebounding from that loss. And, um, you know, you, you do have to wonder how the Remparts are going to struggle here. Now Quebec's a bit more of experienced team playoff wise coming off 
a lot of that core went through that semifinal loss last year. Um, but um, it's it's going to be interesting to see how uh, how Quebec responds to this. Um, and then from the Mooseheads end, uh, they weren't all that great on home ice in the semi in the semifinals. Uh, only won one of three games played um, here in Halifax. So uh, that'll be interesting to see as well. Uh, I'm expecting a couple good games. Uh, big TV audience. Uh, I'd be curious to see. Yeah, definitely. And uh, echo your thoughts, uh, Jamie. It, it did feel a lot like the semifinals, uh, at least from the uh, Moosehead's perspective. And I, I think the scores of the two games, and for those of you who haven't been following maybe as closely, but if you haven't been following this closely, why, why are you listening to a QMJHL podcast? But, you know, apropos yeah, of nothing, yeah, yeah touche. Uh, the first game was Quebec five, Halifax one. That felt like a five one game. Yeah. That felt very dominating. Uh, Justin Robida, you mentioned you know the big guns. Robida two goals. Uh, uh, Juan Rochette with a goal and two assists each. Will Russo was outstanding uh, when called upon. Uh, and game two was it was like the first period felt like the entirety of game two of Halifax <laughs> yeah. Sherbrooke, yeah. where it was. Early domination by Quebec, much like Sherbrooke dominated for stretches of that game. And then a late goal swung the momentum. Now, in the Sherbrooke case, it was Alex Doucette with eight seconds to go in the third to send it to overtime, a game that, ironically, the Mooseheads were going to lose. Uh, They've won five of six since then, we should point out. Um, In this case, it was Alex Doucette with 11 seconds to go in the first period. Uh, a big uh, power play goal to close out that period. And I remember saying to the person I was watching the game with at the time, it's like, now I'm curious to see how Quebec comes out for the second period. Like that's even something as minute, relatively speaking, as, you know, a last second goal in the first period of a game in which they're still leading. That's mm-hmm. still probably one of the biggest pieces of adversity that Quebec Rampart have had to face in the playoffs. Yeah. 13-0 going into that game, 21-game winning streak going back to the regular season. Things have been going very well for them, all hard-earned, but, you know, safe to say that, uh, you know, there's there's been a few nights, especially in the earlier rounds, where things came a little bit easier. So here comes a challenge from, you know, a formidable foe, and sure enough, you know, in, in the case of who was going to get the jump on the other, um, it was all Halifax. And it was really all Halifax the rest of the night. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quebec came off the mat a little bit in the third period, but uh, still we're not generating a whole lot. I thought there was a lot of lanes that were closed off to the Rampire that were wide open yep. in games one and first part of game two. Um, and you mentioned the back end. You mentioned Jake Furlong, um, who... You know, he, he left game one and, you know, weren't sure what the status was going to be, came back in, drew back into the lineup. Uh, but another guy who didn't hit the score sheet, but I think played a big factor in the def- player of the defense overall in that game is Cam Wynott. Mm-hmm. So Wynott comes back into the lineup. He's been out for a number of games and, you know, it's, it's been an injury played a couple of years for Cam. Uh, comes back in the lineup. He was a plus two. But the biggest thing that I think he did, Jamie, is he just simply ate up more minutes than what you could expect some of the other guys in the, the bottom portion of that back end to do. You know, with all due respect to a guy like Owen Phillips, 16-year-old rookie, 
you don't want to tax him a lot. So you're forced to go back to your furlongs and your Schultzes um, even more. And then compounded by the fact that David Morovich yeah. is now out of the lineup as well. Yeah. Um, it, it could have been a, a bit of a disaster, but I think having Cam Wynette available and playing a few key minutes in there just allowed the flow of the game for the Moose defensemen to really, uh, to really shine. It allowed the game to come to them. Uh, they didn't have to. They, I don't think they felt they had to force the issue as much as uh, as other times. Um, so there's two big, but that leads to two big question marks uh, coming up in uh, Game Three tomorrow night here or tonight. By the time uh, this probably comes out to uh, to air, Jamie uh, Jordan Dume and now David Morovich. Um, what's the status? When do we see them again? And uh, you know how big of an injection into the lineup that could be if they can somehow manage to get into the lineup, even if they're not 100%, which we know they won't be. Yeah, and Halifax probably a little fortunate in that game, too, that they dressed seven defensemen um, and then yes. lost Morvich, so it wasn't, wasn't as massive of a loss as it probably could have been. Um, and interesting, too, that Quebec's back end as well has been, has been getting beat up a little bit. Trushan hasn't played in this series. Uh, we know Komarov. Yep, Komarov got hurt. We know Nicholas Savoie, who missed, I believe, missed some games in the in the third round, is is hurting a little bit as well. So, um, you know, these are two teams that can score. Uh, we know that, so we might see some higher scoring games. Uh, but the, again, the X factor is the the Russos and that very good goaltending uh, that could bail out their teams defensively if needed. Yeah, and, and that's the thing too. You know, uh, Will Russo, in particular, in that game two loss, you know, twenty four saves. Um, you, know, you can't really blame him. Like the, those were some pro level shots and excellent setups. And if anything, it was probably uh, the Mooseheads grinding away at the depleted Quebec defensive coverage that led to those opportunities and to those goals. But that's the first game, much like the Rampires in general. Rampire in general should say that that Will Russo has lost in a very long time. And I know talking to him before this series started, one of the things that um, he felt has been a more common occurrence for him this year uh, than in other years is his ability to communicate with Patrick Waugh. Um, it's like you said, you know, Patrick Waugh is a technical goaltending coach. Well, you know, he, he's not that kind of guy. They have a, they have a goaltending coach already. Uh, in Pascal Lizotte, uh, who can handle the technical side. Patrick Wyson isn't really equipped to coach a goaltender from a technical side nowadays, but he can coach him from a psychological side. Yeah. So I am sure there has been a couple of conversations between Will Russo and Patrick Waugh about what happened on Saturday night, what he uh, needs to do to try and pull out of it. And it, when you have that sort of guy, you know, pulling for you behind the bench as, you know, the arguably the greatest goaltender in history. That's a leg up that no other goaltender in the CHL has. So you talk about X factors. I think it stems not just to Will Russo and, and uh, Mathis Russo for that matter. I think it's, it, it also extends to who's guiding them either technically or especially psychologically behind the, behind the bench. To, to really pull the best they can out of them because you know it, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a battle out there it's going to be a noisy building once again and and there's going to have to be a very high level of mental preparedness and Patrick Juan knows that and he's going to remind Will Russo of that 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about in our preview show that Patrick Waugh is a bit of an X factor. Uh, you know, he's a great coach who wants this QMJHL championship. One thing he hasn't won, you know, he wants it bad. So I'm sure he'll, he'll make sure his players are ready. And another thing, another X factor in this series so far has been special teams. Um, yes. Halifax has been deadly on the power play. Um, I, I, you know, you can kind of tell that Quebec has really, to me anyways, kind of cranked up the physicality um, on Mooseheads. And I felt in that game too, in that first period, the Mooseheads kind of let that get to them a little bit and took some undisciplined penalties, but they, they really calmed down. Um, and when Quebec or when Halifax goes to power play, it's, it's, it's a show <laughs> They're They've been uh, unbelievable um, on the power play, but um, again, Patrick Waugh teams um, are typically uh, don't take a lot of penalties and I'm sure we're probably going to see even less penalties here moving forward. Yeah. Uh, discipline was one of the things that uh, Patrick Waugh cited as a key to them um, uh, earning a championship this year and nothing that we've seen has, uh, has, has changed that uh, opinion, I think, of him and certainly not of anybody who's, uh, who's watched his team for sure. So games three and four, two, tomorrow night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night here in Halifax. We already know there's going to be a game five in this series. That's going to take place Friday night back up at the Centre Vidéotron in Quebec City. Um, let's talk about Patrick Waugh a little bit more, too. Not so much for um, what what's happened in the series, but something he mentioned to the local media here um, uh, in just in the last day or so, and that revolves around the schedule for this series. So we had back-to-back games in Quebec to start things off, back-to-back games in Halifax now for three and four. And Patrick Waugh doesn't really agree with that. He wants to see a, a one-day gap between all the games. Uh what are your thoughts on something like that, Jamie? Yeah, like I'm, I'm into it, and I think a lot of people are into it. I'm sure the players are into it. I'm sure the coaches are into it, but I don't know if the team's accountants are into it. I think that's probably <laughs> the biggest issue, um, you know, spacing that out. And then just the, the overall playoff calendar, I don't know if, you know, adding those space in between games, I'm not sure how that just impacts the general calendar and how that pushes the playoffs further into, uh, into May. So I think there's some some logistical issues with that, but I'm, I'm totally into it. And I, you know, his arguments just that the games themselves will increase, will improve the quality on the ice. Um, and, you know, it's hard to argue against that. Um, I think most people are probably in favor of it. And it, it certainly gives players more of a, uh, NHL feel that, you know, it's pretty rare now in the NHL playoffs, you see back-to-back games. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I'm assuming that if this was brought forward to the league, they would just mention the extra costs put on teams, which I, I, I don't know how many teams are going to want to do that. Yeah, def- definitely. You know, it's easy to do with teams like Quebec and Halifax where the funding is there. Um, it's, it's not difficult to spend, you know, three days on the road as opposed to, or yeah. four days on the road as opposed to three. Um, but, uh, yeah, it would definitely be case by case. Uh, basis and then the other side of it too larger locales such as Halifax and Quebec and um, you know amongst others you know you could even count you know a Gatineau or a Moncton or a St. John in the in the same realm as well it's building availability mm-hmm. sometimes it just can't happen um, with things booked as uh, far in advance as they are but you know personally if the opportunity is there I would I would I agree with Patrick why I'd like to see it uh, it definitely it, it allows uh, a better experience it allows for a better flow of game um you know everybody's banged up at this time of the year and for that reason i would even go so far as to say perhaps this becomes whenever possible 
um, a standard thing in the final two rounds of the playoffs. Yeah. Like we no longer see two, three, two series in the playoffs uh, after the second round, make it a two, you know, with it being two, two, one, one, one uh, in rounds three or three and four also make it uh, mandatory to have a one day gap between, between games. You have 14 days to get through a series. I believe that's typically league protocol, whether you do that, um, with what longer gaps and back-to-backs or shorter gaps and uh, playing every second day, you know, you, you arrive at the same thing, but whenever possible. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I'm sure, I'm sure both these teams would love to have had an, an extra day between uh, games one and two, just simply to, you know, you know, look at a guy like Jake Furlong, for example, or a guy like Komarov in Quebec, yeah. who hey, you can be guaranteed they were playing through a lot of stuff, much like many other teammates. Yeah. And at some point you just get, you just got to accept the cost. I think too, like if it's going to dramatically yes. improve the quality on the ice, like let's, let's do this and just eat the cost. I think, you know, yeah. if, and in theory, the better the product, the more money you'll generate anyway. Exactly. And also the, the gap in between as well. I, I know a lot of people who are big hockey fans and they love the fact that this series is on right now, but Going to back-to-back games, it's you know it is a strain. There's the financial side for fans. I get that, and certainly a reality. But there's also the the time constraint as well. Do you want to spend two nights in a row in a hockey rink, even if it's the final? A lot of people, casual fans, don't want to do that. Yeah. So uh, not so much, a, not so big of a deal for these two teams where they're selling out every night. But when you get to certain certain locales, you know what? Maybe maybe it does become an issue. But uh, we will uh, we'll deal the hand, uh, much like Patrick Wall, we'll deal the hand that's been uh, dealt to him, and uh, we'll see our back-to-backs, of course, uh, this this week for the last time in the Q playoffs because 5, 6, and 7, uh, 6 and 7 if necessary, will, of course, uh, have off days in the middle. Um, now, uh, what, one other thing before we, we move on to our next uh, segment Something you mentioned, Jamie, I saw one other outlet, if I'm not mistaken, and that is um, the Memorial Cup patches or the lack thereof. And it was a good catch on your part, Jamie. Um, they're not wearing them in the queue. I don't think they're wearing them in the WHL either. It seems to be only Correct. an OHL thing. Yeah. And that used to be you know, a, a tradition, so to speak. It may not be a lot, but I know uh, the first time I saw a finals game live would have been back in 2004. Uh, the Moncton Wildcats and the Gatineau Olympic. And when your hometown team, I was not in media at that point, so I was in the stands. Um, when your hometown team comes out wearing those patches and you kind of know what that signifies, you know, it kind of means something. I'm sure it means something to the players. So it's kind of odd that not only are we not seeing it in the queue, but we're, we are seeing it in one league, but not in the other two. Yeah, really bizarre that the three leagues aren't really aligned on that. Like, I don't, like maybe it is just a, you know, printing issue or something weird like that but it is kind of kind of weird that the ohl brought them back uh, like you said this was a long tradition pre-covid uh, i know none of the three leagues wore them last year um but very odd to see just the ohl wearing them this year i loved it and again like it just added that little bit of something that made it made the finals feel like memorial cup qualifiers which they technically are um and it was it, but the best part will this is a really small thing the best part was always the preseason after was seeing the teams continue to wear the patches on those jerseys because they're wearing those yes. old jerseys. That was the best part. Yes. Such a baller right. move. Yeah, very, very much so. Yeah, just 
letting people know who you are. And I remember uh, the Cedo's C- rolling in the trackety Shiloh wearing the Memorial Cup pack. <laughs> That's boss. <laughs> yep. I actually, funny, funny thing you say that I saw the Moncton Wildcats, the very first junior uh, Connor Somerville, our producers back here, tearing his hair, hair, he knows I'm telling the story, but anyway, uh, the very first junior game I ever saw in the city of St. John, uh, 2005 preseason Moncton Wildcats were down there playing the, um, rest in peace, loose to maniacs. Yes. And they had, the, they had the patches on as well. So that's a, that's a, a very, um, fuzzy memory i suppose for myself but uh now that you bring it up yep that's uh that's another it's another little aspect you know it, like you say it may not seem like a lot but it you know there's, there's some symbolism behind it so hopefully all three leagues get back on uh, track next year and uh, we see that just as just as a nice one little added touch for the teams that have earned the, the right to uh, make it this far in the postseason Speaking of the postseason, we're going to talk about a team that uh, has not seen the postseason in a number of years. It's our NHL team profile. Um, it's going to be on the Detroit Red Wings. Um, you know, long history there. Um, if we were recording this podcast in, you know, 2003 or 2013, you know, assuming the podcast was a thing back then. Uh, they'd still be considered uh, a power of sorts, but uh, building things back up and they are doing it with the help of some QMJHL players and alumni. One drafted guy in the league, uh, Oscar Plandowski, a defenseman for the Moncton Wildcats, who's with Charlottetown when he got drafted by the Wings. But uh, a guy who, uh, unfortunately, Jamie, got injured during the postseason this year, but uh, uh, was a big piece of uh, that building Moncton teams back end uh, coming over in a trade during the uh, Christmas period. Yeah, and, you know, it's certainly a big piece for Charlottetown the past few years, too, and helping them reach uh, the league final um, a year ago. Uh, split the season between Drummondville and Moncton. Yeah, a huge piece for Moncton, uh, especially after they made some changes on the back end there in the second half. Uh, 19 points this season, certainly more known more for his defensive and toughness than his offense. Um, but, uh, you know, you have to anticipate as he continues to get older in this league, that offense, those offensive numbers might pick up. Um, but, you know, certainly someone who you, you just expect steady defensive play from on the back end. And a very good skater. And I bring that up because I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that uh, somebody that the, the person who played the biggest role in his skating ability actually his mother, Jill Plandowski, a powder power skating co- coach here in the Halifax area, works with uh, a lot of uh, junior age players and has for a number of years. So shout out to Jill for all of her hard work as well. And uh, we'll see if uh, Oscar uh, is back in the queue next year or at the very least if mm-hmm. uh, he uh, makes his uh, four-way, uh, his foray into the pros. If he comes back to junior, obviously a huge piece of uh, the Wildcats back end. Another guy, uh, the only AHL guy from the queue uh, was once upon a time, a big piece of Moncton's back end as well. Um, and uh, better known for his time, of course, with the Halifax Mooseheads, uh, Jared McIsaac, who's second round pick of the uh, wings back in 2018, if I'm not mistaken, where they went on an absolute run of QMJHL guys. A couple more we're going to talk about in a couple of seconds here. But uh, you talk about a guy like Jared, a great all-around defenseman, uh, certainly uh, more offensive acumen 
not a big clap bomb from the point guy, but can get the get the shot on net. But of course, the biggest thing that's always kind of plagued him um, over the last uh, few years, of course, has been staying healthy. And uh, you kind of wonder, Jamie, you know, when's the time going to come? Because he was on a very good traje- trajectory during his time in junior, even his early time in the, in the AHL, but uh, still waiting for those first NHL uh, appearances. Yeah, too bad. You know, you see someone like that really struggle to stay healthy over the years and, you know, some some unfortunate injuries that are really out of his control too. Um, but, you know, well, we haven't mentioned the uh, – the uh, 2020 Wildcats here in a while, and I know the Wildcats fans love us uh, mentioning that team. So, uh. <laughs> yeah, great. Hey, hopefully, hey, but hopefully hey, some hey, good luck did, comes from. We, we did well not to mention the 2006 Memorial Cup. Okay, um, <laughs> ironically, I do kind of plan on bringing that up here towards yeah. the end of the uh, the end of the show. But um, sorry, Cats fans, better yeah. luck next week. Um, we'll hopefully, some, mention- some better luck for some better luck for Jerry McIsaac in the future. That would be nice. Absolutely, absolutely, and it'd be well deserved if uh, yeah. it all pans out that way. Just a quick mention that uh, there's one guy in the ECHL, uh, Pat McGraw who uh, was a winger for the PEI Rocket about ten years ago or so. Briefly played for the. Uh, Junior A Summerside Western Capitals as well. So shout out to the uh, Western Caps organization who have a number of guys in pro. Um, and then the NHL, four guys, um, all of them pretty well vets at this point. Uh, yeah. The youngest would be Phil, uh, would be um, Philip Zadina, uh, who joins Joe Valeno, David Perron, and uh, Adam Ernie as the uh, Q contingent on the NHL wings. And of course, uh, Jamie, you're very, very familiar with uh, Joe Valeno and anybody who's who's followed Junior over the years and knows he was still the only exceptional player uh, to uh, achieve that status in the queue. Uh, but uh, certainly uh, a few championships uh, uh, between uh, those uh, those two uh, gentlemen uh, at the junior level and uh, as well a lot of success overall between those four. Yeah, and Valeno, I've been watching closely here at the the Men's Worlds, uh, playing top line on Team Canada, so that's good to see. Uh, um, yeah, I get like you mentioned, the only exceptional player in Q League history, uh, won the President Cup with St. John in, in 2017, um, and then uh, his trade to Drummondville essentially rebuilt the entire Sea Dogs team that uh, <laughs> that uh, <laughs> made the Memorial Cup, won the Memorial Cup last year. So uh, a very integral part of uh, of the CDOs organization um and i'd be curious to see the the his trade tree i don't know if this trade tree is over yet or not but it, it's a pretty pretty massive amount of uh of draft picks the st john guy back from drummondville so uh uh certainly an important piece in CDOs history and david perron too lewiston maniacs legend i have i still yes. have a maniacs uh, poster with him on it uh somewhere should hang that up uh again another guy who's had some bad injury luck but uh has managed to 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 win some championships despite that absolutely no he was a winner in pittsburgh he was a winner in lewiston and uh only played the one year he uh came up yeah. uh came up as a rookie in lewiston that year won uh, a president cup in 2007 got drafted in the first round by st louis and never looked back and uh was not a high first round pick either he was mid to low yeah. Still made the team out of camp, which is something that's exceptionally rare. And six round pick in the queue, Will. Six round pick in the yeah. queue as well. So just literally out of nowhere to uh, you know start his pro career that way he did, and even his junior career. 
yeah. um, the way he did on a very, very tough to crack uh, Maniacs lineup uh, that season. And of course, you mentioned Joe Valeno. Uh, one quick note: not only the only exceptional player in uh, CH in uh, QMJHL history, but uh, that decision was rendered the weekend of the draft, if you recall, <laughs> Jamie. Sea um, Dogs have won the lottery that year, and um, at that point, uh, sounded like they were probably going to take Shane Bowers. Um, going into the weekend, if, if you recall correctly. And uh, then all of a sudden, um, things changed in a hurry. And, uh, and uh, young Mr. Valeno became uh, available, and the rest is history. Uh, so let's, instead of talking about history, let's talk about the present. I'm going to sort of split this up a little bit more than what we had in our midst of one thing that I want to go back to that... Uh, uh, you actually brought to uh, my attention, as well as Connor's, uh, Jamie. Uh, just a quick shout out to uh, Louis Robitaille, friend of the show, was on our season premiere, actually, our series premiere, back in uh, October. Um, he has been announced that he will be back with the Gatineau Olympic next year, fulfilling the fourth year of a four-year contract. And I'd say the only comment that I really had to that, Jamie, is, first of all, well-deserved, uh, Still a bitter taste in his mouth, no no doubt from how the playoffs ended, but um, well-earned to this point and very curious to see what happens after that uh, contract expires. You'd have to think there will be a pro offer or two coming his way. Yeah, definitely. Um, And, you know, we talked about Joe Valeno and how that trade, you know, catapulted the Sea Dogs rebuild um, to a Memorial Cup in 2022. That's kind of what, uh, Robitaille is going to be faced with a little bit probably this year. Um, he's going to need to to look at dealing some of these guys for future assets um, and really get this rebuild started for for Gatineau. It's probably going to be uh, a long build back. They uh, they really went all in this year, but uh, it, he it's a really important uh, really important calendar year for uh, the Gatineau organization. Definitely, and uh, depending on uh, when those trades are made uh, at the draft at Christmas, maybe probably a combination of both. You have to assume that there's going to be a fair amount of offloading. Maybe they bank enough points to make the playoffs this year. But as we were saying just before we came on air, uh, Jamie, a team that has not made not missed the playoffs since 1984, Crazy. which is just that doesn't even sound like a realistic thing. That sounds yeah. like you know that that's that's like video game stat. The Red Wings, the Red Wings of the Q, kind of, kind of the Red Wings of the Q, or the yeah, or the uh, or the Boston Bruins of the Q, maybe back back in the Harry Sinden era. But anyway, that's going way way back. Let's look to the future. (laughs) Let's look to our twenty twenty original six. Well, (laughs) back in my day, Uh, hey, I remember Louis as a player, and that makes me feel old. So hey, what can I tell you? Uh, 2023 draft prospect of the week. Uh, we're going to go back to Moncton. So Cats fans, we're going to make it up to you right now because we're going to talk about a guy that I know myself. Um, I, I made mention of this uh, on the air with our friend Marty Kingston a couple of times this year. You you see that he makes a noticeable difference to the team every time he's in the lineup. And unfortunately, he hasn't. He wasn't in the lineup in the playoffs. We're talking about Preston Lounsbury, center. Uh, from Salisbury, New Brunswick, his first full year in the league, Jamie, and um, he already has some pretty impressive championship pre- pedigree to uh, draw on coming into the queue. Yeah, I had that that huge uh, performance with the the Moncton Flyers, uh, a program we've mentioned quite a few times on this show throughout the year, uh, helped them win the 2022 Telus Cup. 
uh, 13 points in seven games, phenomenal performance uh, from him. Um, and certainly is that use that momentum to have a really strong first full year in the queue, uh, 28 points in 58 games. But, you know, like you mentioned, the, you know, kind of beyond the stats, he really made an impact every time he was in the Wildcats lineup. Um, and his absence in the playoffs, you know, he really felt it even for a guy who's, you know, young and, uh, you know, not necessarily putting out points every night on the score sheet. You could really feel uh, that absence um, and native of Salisbury. So, you know, he's a, he's a hardworking guy because that's, that's the way they do it up there. Uh, but certainly, uh, certainly a guy who uh, I think is going to be a really important piece for the Wildcats over the next couple of years. And um, as they look to, to maybe host in 2025, I could see him being a, a key component uh, over the next couple of years. Absolutely. And uh, as a guy who grew up on Salisbury Road in Moncton on the way to Salisbury, I can assure you there is a number of mucker, muckers and grinders up there and people just scrapping to get by. Hi. Um, but uh, now, Preston, we wish all the best. Uh, of course, he uh, got injured on March 19th uh, this season. Uh, that that uh, took away his uh, opportunity to get into the playoffs for the first time this year. Hopefully that's something that gets corrected next year and hopefully there is a pro team out there that takes notice ranked 186 number 187 amongst the north american scouts by uh, north american skaters i should say on the latest nhl sierra list um we are just about ready to wrap things up but uh, i think we'd be remiss if we don't mention something that uh, uh something that cropped up over the weekend um down here in halifax he's known fairly well um, talking about a guy named Tyler Long. Tyler is the assistant uh, equipment manager for the Mooseheads. Um, he lives with Down syndrome. But uh, if you asked anybody on that team um, who is uh, arguably the biggest glue guy when he walks into the room, Tyler's the guy. And, um, you know, my good friend uh, Mavs Gillis over on East Link, he and Tyler, they have a pretty close relationship. Zach LaRue, and you know what? We give Zach LaRue a lot of crap on this broadcast. Like, let's be honest, me in particular. But he's one of Tyler's best friends, and uh, he's he's done a lot uh, for Tyler. Um, Tyler and his mom had a bit of a tough uh, situation up in Quebec on uh, Saturday night in uh, game two of that series. They went up as fans. Um, they had to actually uh, vacate their seats, go to another section of the building, uh, people, um, we're not going to call them fans and we're not really going to dwell on them, uh, much at all, except to say they're pretty pathetic people, yeah. uh, to be blunt, um, made things a little difficult for Tyler and, uh, the ramparts, uh, came into town today and made things pretty good for Tyler. Brought him over. I met with Patrick Waugh. Patrick Waugh provided some uh, assistance to, uh, Tyler and his mom uh, for uh, medical uh, treatments that uh, bills were accumulating on, and uh, and just gave him gave him the experience that he deserves. And uh, you know, uh, I I brought this up, Jamie, with you last night. And it was going to be more of just a you know, mostly a shout out to Tyler, which Tyler totally deserves. Because if we were if there were more people like Tyler in the world, Jamie, the world would be a um, much more fantastic place. But um, we also give, got to give credit to the Quebec Ramper for uh, righting a wrong. And really, that's something they don't have to do. Uh, like they're, you know, because of uh, a bunch of idiots in the stands that are not affiliated with the organization, the organization 
uh, came came forward and and offered this offered to take them to game five into a private box uh which um uh, the long family respectfully declined but just overall and i know i'm kind of rambling i want to get your two cents on this uh jamie but um you know it's absolutely heartbreaking that it happened yeah but you know i don't know about you man but i'm i'm a sucker for a good a good uh uh, finish to a, to a story like this. And, and I think we've seen that. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome gesture by the ramparts and, you know, shows that uh, something like this, it doesn't, doesn't really matter who you're cheering for. Uh, you know, you can bring the biggest, biggest Mooseheads fan into, into the ramparts locker room and put a smile on his face. And that's really what that's all about. Right. Um, but echo everything you said, I've, I've been to a few rinks, Will, as you know, I've seen some pretty awful stuff uh mm-hmm. there's this happens frequently uh but those fans are few and far between the majority of people there are, are welcoming people who want you there uh yeah. and certainly if tyler's listening to this keep coming to games because there's there's way more people who uh who want you there supporting the mooseheads even if uh, you're at, in a visiting building uh so yeah. certainly uh keep going to games and people will be there to support you yeah and of course we're going to see tyler behind the bench for uh, games three and four Coming up this week, um, if the Mooseheads do happen to go all the way, uh, we're going to see Tyler get a ring, um, and a well-deserved one. And uh, just one of my closing thoughts on this, this, if this doesn't capture the impact that Tyler has on the Mooseheads, um, I was at the Halifax Convention Center here about two months ago when the announcement was made that Bobby Smith was uh, selling his interest in the team to the Simon family. Um, I can think of two, three, three people, I guess four people in Bobby Smith's speech that were specifically named as he was turning over the team officially to the Simon family. Uh, two of them, of course, were, uh, Sam Simon and his son, um, Cam Russell was one and Tyler Long was the only other one who was in the crowd with his, uh, with his mom and, um, and, uh, Bobby Smith made a point to mention, you know, Tyler and what Tyler means to the Mooset. So, you know what, uh, coming from you and I is one thing coming from the guy who owned the team, totally yep. different ball of wax. I think it tells you everything you need to know about what yep. kind of guy Tyler is. And, uh, you know, uh, well done, bud. Glad to see that you uh, got, uh, you got what you deserved in the end. And that's really all we can ever ask for, no matter what, what we're talking about in life. Right. So with that, we are going to move on and uh, we're going to see how these games take place, actually. You know, we got Tyler behind the bench. Well, we're going to be in the press box, I suppose, seeing uh, how everything unfolds here in game three and four. What kind of uh, series are we going to have when we're on the air next week? Are we still going to have a series next week? Those are all the questions that uh, remain unanswered, but uh, we'll be breaking it down for you for sure. Uh, this time next week. So for Jamie, I'm Will. This is THN on the Q, brought to you by BetMGM. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here next week.